Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Footsteps of Messiah, page 203, and we're going to look at the events of the first half of the tribulation. We're going to deal with the Antichrist tonight, and you'll see after studying about current events why the world will beg for a strong-armed man to come and take over the chaos that is ensuing in this world. You can't just have anarchy. That's anarchy, which you guys saw on the video tonight. That's just simply anarchy. So people will cry out for security. Well, then the Antichrist will be the one to step up and give him that security. Because a guy like Obama is not. A guy like Ban Ki-moon is not. The UN is not. It'll be a strong-armed man to do that. Well, before we get into that, a couple of review things that is, that is happening. Before the tribulation starts, there are pre-tribulational events that occur. Uh, Elijah is back as the prophet, and he is back on the scene. The governmental system has, has went into a one-world government. It is broken up into a ten-league confederation. That's functioning at that point in time. The rapture perhaps has occurred by now. And Gog and Magog has occurred, and Psalm 83 has occurred. So there's a lot of things that have occurred. Also, the two witnesses are on the planet at this point in time, right before the tribulation starts, because they prophesied for the first three and a half years. So whoever they are, maybe they're... Maybe they are Moses and Elijah. We'll, we'll talk about that later on. Or maybe they're just two other Jewish prophets. Those things are enacted at this point in time. They're already there. This also means that the Antichrist is on the scene. He maybe is not revealed yet, but he is alive and functioning. And so, could the Antichrist be alive today? Absolutely, he could be. Absolutely. Uh, and if we were close to the end times, I would think he would be an adult by then. By now, and so if that's the case, we don't know who he is. He won't be revealed to us. We won't know that, but he could be alive today. Well, that starts the seal judgments, and so the seal judgment. Christ breaks the seal judgments, and this is page two hundred four. In heaven, Christ has the authority to start the tribulation, and he does so. And it says, "I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come." And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat thereon had a bow. And there was given unto him a crown, and he came forth conquering and to conquer. The idea of the crown is, is a Stephanos, not a, not a diadem like a king, but a crown of a victor. And so the Antichrist apparently has risen to the level of a victor. He has had victory in his life in taking power. And this is describing the rise of the Antichrist in the first part of the tribulation. To understand the Antichrist, to back up a little bit, you have to understand the counterfeit trinity to begin with. In the counterfeit trinity, Satan always counterfeits what God does. And what he is doing is Satan will play the role of the Father, the false prophet will play the role of the Holy Spirit, and the Antichrist will play the role of the Son. And so you can see how Satan always tries to counterfeit everything that God does. Even some of the practices that God does, Satan will try to counterfeit. So, for instance, I'll give you one that's really uh, usually misunderstood. The gift of tongues is a foreign language that's been get, that's given to certain people, particularly those on the mission field. But in in Book of Acts, tongues was language, and people understood that the Apostle Peter 
in their own language. The counterfeit, by the way, is what's called ecstatic utterances, which is practicing Satanism and witchcraft and practicing pagan uh, uh, religion. So Satan will always have his counterfeit. And so today, many times in the uh, Pentecostal charismatic wings, they are practicing not the legitimate tongues, which is a language, but they are practicing the counterfeit, which is babbling or ecstatic utterances. I don't deny that the gift of languages is available, and I've seen missionaries have the gift of languages. But they're speaking a different dialect. They, there's an interpreter, and people understand that they're speaking a different language. But when you go into a charismatic church, and they're sit, sitting rub-a-dub-dub, three men in the tub, and you know good and well, that's, that's, not a, that's a counterfeit. That's, that, and that's what's happening in most of the churches. The other counterfeit I'll mention, and I'll mention this on Sunday, is the counterfeit to how the, the apostles and the prophets received revelation and wrote the scripture. The counterfeit today is called automatic dictation. It's practiced in the occult, it's practiced in Satanism, in witchcraft, where the person gets into an altered state of consciousness, and whatever spirit they're tapped into, the spirit makes them right, and they actually write things. There was a famous mathematician in India, and he, the guy was absolutely brilliant. They couldn't figure out how he would figure out theorems. They finally asked him, how are you figuring these out? And he goes, well, I go into the spirit world in my Hindu uh, world and the gods of Hinduism teach me how to do the math theorems. And so he was coming up with solving these, these massive theorems and no one could solve because he was getting that help. You remember the Twilight series? And now they've made movies into it. The lady who wrote the Twilight series is a Mormon but was practicing auto-dictation. And what I mean by that is that she was channeling uh, a, a spirit by the name of Edward, which is her main character, but this spirit called Edward was telling her what to write. So the entire Twilight series was dictated to her by this spirit. And she indicates that um, the spirit kept her up awake at night, writing and writing, and when she wanted to go to sleep because she was tired, the spirit would wake her up and make her keep writing, and if she made a mistake, the Spirit would correct her and make sure she wrote the right thing. That's called auto-dictation. That's the counterfeit to receiving revelation from God. The other counterfeit that's alive and well right now is a Jesus calling. She is teaching people how to do auto-dictation through journaling. And um, that's, again, another methodology that's not allowed. It's a counterfeit. to If God's speaking to you and he tells you to write something, now that's on par with Scripture. So if somebody tells you, yeah, I'm journaling and God told me this and told me to write this down, now you're in the realm of blasphemy. Because now you're saying what I'm writing down is on par with Scripture. And that's very, very scary. So my point about all this is Satan counterfeits the real thing. So he counterfeits the Trinity. And so anyway, that's the, that's the first thing we gotta know. On the next page, we'll, we'll look at some of the names of the Antichrist, and there's many, many names about him in two, page 205. Um, the first thing that we'll bring to mind is the seed of Satan. He is called in Genesis 3.15. That is gonna refer to his supernatural origins. And we'll talk about that later on, but he truly is the seed of Satan. He is the son of Satan. He's the offspring of Satan. He's also called the little horn because he rises out of this uh, one world government as out of the ten horns. He's like the eleventh. 
He's the king of fierce countenance, and Daniel 8 means that he understands black magic and black arts. He understands the occult very well. Well, the son of Satan would obviously do that, right? The prince that shall come, he's a ruler, desolator. He's going to desolate Israel and the, and the, the Israelites. And he's the willful king. He does what he wants to do because he blasphemes. He's the man of sin because that's all his nature is sin. He's the son of perdition. Him and Judas are called that because uh, their destiny is hell, the lawless one, because he is anti-law. So everything God says, he does the opposite. Anti-Christ, he's instead of Christ, in place of Christ, and he's obviously called the beast because he represents the government called the beast government. So there's a lot of different names for him, but we'll just call him Antichrist. The origin of Antichrist, and let's let's talk a little bit about his human origins. On the next page, page 206, we have to dispel some some false ideas about him, and this came out of people taking things out of context and, and making things up that really wasn't there. A lot of speculation is that they would, the, the old prophecy guys used to say, well, he's going to be Jewish. And that's not the case at all. He's not Jewish. But their premise was, and this is how their, their logic went, and you can see the premise there, the Jews will accept Antichrist as the Messiah. The minor premise was the Jews will never accept the Gentile as the Messiah. <laughs> The conclusion is the Antichrist will be a Jew. That's faulty logic. Because the scriptures militate against that. The argument is that that's an argument out of silence. And it's an argu argument that doesn't hold any water. Well, they, they would come back and say, well, he, he must be Jewish because he must be from the tribe of Dan. Because when mentioning the 144,000 in Revelation 7 and 14, the tribe of Dan is not mentioned in the lists of the tribes. And so they concluded wrongly that the Antichrist must be from the tribe of Dan. Well, not true because the tribe of Dan is mentioned in Ezekiel's millennial kingdom uh, in Ezekiel 48. So the, the tribe of Dan still pops up. It's not excluded. So they used to say that, but here's, let me explain the, a little bit about the listing of when you see the tribes. Now, I know it's called the 12 tribes of Israel, but honestly, how many tribes are there? Do you know? I know they're called the 12 tribes of Israel, but there's more than 12. 13. Yeah? Who's the wild card, typically? Who doesn't get land? Levi. Okay? So the 12 tribes really are 13 because Levi gets the inheritance of the Lord and he doesn't get land inheritance. Okay, so when what will happen is, and this is just basic hermeneutics when you study the Bible, when the Bible gives lists of the 12 tribes of Israel, it has to exclude one all the time. And generally, that rotates a lot of times. Sometimes it's Levi, sometimes it's Dan, sometimes it's another tribe. So anytime it gives the list of tribe, just because it excludes one tribe, it's not because they've done something wrong. It just it, They're doing that for uniformitarian, uh, uh, presenting 12 tribes. So when you go to Revelation 7 and 14, or really 7, it's going to give you 12 tribes. But it's throwing out the tribe of Dan. 
And that's all it's doing. It's all, all it's doing is keeping harmony with the number 12. That's all it's doing. Because Dan pops up in the millennial kingdom. And Dan gets its portion of land. But in the millennial kingdom, the Levites don't get land. They get the temple. They get the area surrounding Jerusalem. So it was a hermeneutical error for them to say, these, the older prophecy guys, to say that Messiah must be Jewish because the Jews would not accept the Jew, uh, a non-Jew. And he must be from the tribe of Dan because we don't see the tribe of Dan mentioned in Revelation uh, 7. Well, it's just simply not understanding what the biblical writers were trying to do. Uh, the other verse, and you can turn to page 208, and you'll see the other verse to dispel this myth a little bit so you guys can understand, is Daniel 11.37 was mis mistaken out of uh, its context. And it says this, Neither shall he, referring to the Antichrist, regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. That, and that's an interesting passage, and m most people sometimes get this messed up, and they extrapolate and take it off, take off on it. When it says, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, you see that word? Most of the time people were saying, ah, see, he must be Jewish, because he's going to go against the God of his fathers. Well, it doesn't indicate who his fathers are, right? And so... The idea, actually, the correct translation, though, is not single God, but God's plural, the gods of his fathers, not God of his fathers. That's what the Hebrew is saying, it's plural. Okay, so in that little phrase, what is it saying? That whatever religion he comes from, pagan religion, whether it's Roman Catholicism, whether it's Islam, whether it's whatever religion his ancestors were, he will not be one. That's all it's saying. Does that make sense? Now, look at the next phrase. Nor the desire of women. Now, some people take this out because they don't know the Hebrew idiom, and they take it out, oh, he must be gay. He must be a homosexual. Right? That, that, that would be the obvious rendering of it if you just read it face value. But that's a Hebrew idiom. The Hebrew idiom, of, nor the desire of women, the desire of every female Jew woman was to bear the Messiah. And who got that privilege? Mary. So ever since Eve, remember Eve, you can even see it with Eve, when she was told, when she has her firstborn born Cain, she calls him the God-man. She's mistaken, and her grief is so bad over what Cain did, uh, and that he was not the Messiah, that she named her next son Abel. Uh, and Abel kind of means like exasperated or disappointed or whatnot. And, and so the idea there is even Eve was hoping to have the Messiah. So from that point on, every Jewish woman's desire was to have the Messiah. So the term, the desire of women, refers to Judaism. That's what the Hebrew idiom is saying, that he's not, he's not only from the gods of his fathers, nor is he from the Hebrew religion of Judaism. He's not from the Hebrew culture. The desire of women would be Judaism. Or, or they would come from that mindset. So. 
And then it says at the conclusion, nor regard any God. He doesn't particularly have a religion. He is secular. But why must he be secular? Because eventually, who does he think he is? He claims to be God. So that's why he gets rid of all the religions, because he says, I'm the one true God, not these other religions. So he gets rid of Hinduism, Roman Catholicism, the whore of Babylon. He gets rid of her because he's going to be God. For he shall magnify himself above all. Well, yes, because he proclaims himself to be God. So that dispels a lot of the myths about that. And so um, he's not Jewish. He will be Gentile. So if you turn to page 210, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Antichrist being Gentile. One of the things you start finding out about the Antichrist is he is warned about all the way back to Genesis 3. He's the seed of Satan. Then what you'll start seeing is types of the Antichrist, or typology. And typology means a pattern or a biblical foreshadowing of the future Antichrist. So, if we start back, you go to Genesis, and the first type of Antichrist is Nimrod. He is the first guy. He is a Nephilim. He, he's the leader of the entire human race at the Tower of Babel, and he is orchestrating everybody to focus their worship on the stars. And he's the leader. He's an Antichrist type. Well, God stops that and confuses the language and, and disperses everybody. The Babylonian cult started from Nimrod, by the way, and his wife Semiramis, and they had Tammuz, and that started a whole Babylonian cult, which you see in Roman Catholicism today. Well, he was a type of Antichrist. The next type of Antichrist will probably ring a bell to you is Pharaoh. So when you see Pharaoh dealing with Moses, you're looking at a type of Antichrist, and who is Moses portraying? Messiah. The Exodus is a picture of the Messiah, of Jesus leading people out of the world into the promised land, in salvation and, and into maturity. So when you track with Moses, you're seeing a picture of our salvation. Uh, Paul will say that them going through the Red Sea is likened to our baptism. And then being in the... And so if you take everything out, the Exodus is a picture of salvation. They were baptized in the Red Sea. They wandered in the desert. That's a, that's a place of immaturity. And they wandered for 40 years. When they were ready to cross Jordan or cross into maturity in the Promised Land, that was a type of when you and I finally make a decision after we were saved to finally progress and say, I'm going to be mature. I'm going to grow and I'm going to cross Jordan and go into the Promised Land. The Promised Land is not a typology for heaven. The promised land is a typology for spiritual maturity, according to the writer of Hebrews. Okay? And so what is that picture of? Battle after battle after battle after battle after battle after battle, right? That's the picture of the life of maturity. But every time you win a battle, you receive rest, because you don't have to fight that battle anymore. And so the writer of Hebrews will use that imagery of the promised land of saying you can enter that rest. You fight your battles and you'll get rest. Fight your battles, get rest. So everything's a typology. So the Antichrist is a type uh, with Pharaoh, Nimrod, uh, Haman, when the days of Esther came, remember that? 
Even with Nebuchadnezzar, and remember he put up the image and he wanted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship the image that they refused to do, that was a picture of the Antichrist putting up the abomination of desolation. Always a picture. Then in history, Antiochus Epiphanes goes in there and sacrifices a pig in the temple, desecrates the temple, picture of the Antichrist. And in the future, you will finally see the fruition of this. Saul sometimes is a picture of the Antichrist. Some of the kings are pictures of the, the evil kings of Israel are pictures of the Antichrist. So you will keep seeing him in other forms of people and they point forward. He's coming, he's coming, and he's going to be worse. That's pattern, that's typology that you see. The other thing is we know that he's a Gentile because in Revelation 13, it says he arises out of the sea. The sea is referred to as the Mediterranean. That's the sea that John is referring to when he says in Revelation 13 that he comes out of the sea. The Mediterranean represented the Gentile people. And so Antichrist comes out of the Gentiles, not out of the Jews. He comes out of the Gentile people to do that. So um, then on page 211, we get a little bit more specific. He's not only a Gentile, but he is of Roman origin. And in Daniel 9.26, he says, And after the three score and two weeks shall be, uh, shall be anointed one be cut off, that's talking about Messiah, and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince that shall come, uh, shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, even until the end shall be war. Desolations are determined. And so here's the Antichrist. And he shall make a firm covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he should cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, with that being said, if you connect that passage to Right on, up on the top there in the second line, and the people of the prince that shall come, that shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, that identifies him with the Romans. It was the Romans who destroyed the sanctuary. They, they are the people who came to destroy the city, but they're the people of the prince. Well, that prince is the Antichrist, so he's of Roman origin. That doesn't mean necessarily he's Italian, and so I don't want you to think that he, he's, he eats spaghetti. He may not eat spaghetti. He, he might, he might eat spaghetti. But remember, what did Rome control in Jesus' day? Pretty much the entire Mediterranean, did he not? Which included, I mean, think about it, three continents. They controlled all of southern Europe. Then it controlled the Middle East part, portion of it as it came into the Fertile Crescent. And then it controlled all of North Africa. So if you look at a map of the Roman Empire in Jesus' day, it was all of the Mediterranean area, area which included Israel. So this is why it's a little harder to pinpoint, yes, he's Gentile, but he's going to come from the region of where the Roman Empire controlled. So he could come from North Africa, he could come from the Middle East, or he could come from Europe. But, that excludes a lot of other areas, though. He doesn't come from the United States. He doesn't come from Canada, Mexico, Central America, South America. He doesn't come from Antarctica. He doesn't come from Australia. So you do get some idea where he's going to come from, generally speaking. But that's about it. That's about all you get. So it's possible, you know, he could eat spaghetti, but it's possible he, he could eat falafel, too. And, and stuff like that. Who knows? Uh, we, we just know he comes from those areas. Um, and this is what I'm going to do. Next week, I'm going to stop right now and take a break. 
But next week, we'll get into his supernatural origin. He's not fully human. He has something else in him. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.